0: Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast, and if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we should believe in the name of his Son Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he has commanded us. All his, who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit that he has given us. The Word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Author of life. We thank you for your word, and we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning to transform us in heart and mind and soul. Amen. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. That's it, that's the whole gospel right there. That's the sermon. What else is there to say? Okay, you're probably expecting a little bit more from me. So let's see how I can add to something that is so clear and straightforward. Actually, I was talking to one of my grandmothers on the phone this week. And I told her how refreshing it is to have a scripture passage that just sums the whole thing up so neatly. As a preacher, I feel like sometimes I'm just saying the same thing over and over again because this is the principle that everything always comes back to. Now, maybe it gets said a little differently at various points in the scriptures. For example, you have Micah who sums it up by saying, Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Or you have Christ himself declaring that all of the laws and the prophets hang on the two great commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. But no matter how exactly you phrase it, the entire gospel comes down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Now this week, we're focusing on the latter of those two instructions, to love our neighbor. Next week, we're going to see more about how this connects to the idea of loving God. So what does today's reading actually have to say about our love for our brothers and sisters? Well, it starts off pretty easy. This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Okay, that seems easy enough and is basically what I've just said. The instructions have always been to love one another. It then continues, we must not be like Cain who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. Okay, don't kill our brothers and sisters. Again, that seems easy enough for the vast majority of us. That was, after all, one of the rules that made the top ten list handed down to Moses on Mount Horeb. Thou shall not kill. But even there, we can start to see how things fall apart. There are plenty of people who call themselves followers of Christ who find justifications in their mind for killing another person. From warfare to state-sanctioned executions to simply defending their property rights. But like I said, for the vast majority of us, this isn't going to be a barrier to loving our neighbors because we aren't going to be put in a situation where we have to take a life. Not directly, anyways. If we keep reading, though, we hit a little snag that probably starts to catch most of us. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. Suddenly, the threshold for following the commandment to love one another just got a lot higher. If you hate someone, you're guilty of murdering them. So I don't have to be the person to pull the trigger on a gun or flip the switch on the electric chair or administer a lethal injection or stick the knife in someone or drop a bomb on someone in order to be a murderer. All I have to do is have hatred for them in my heart. Now this may seem like an extreme position, but it's hardly an isolated position in our scriptures. If you're of a certain age, you may remember Jimmy Carter getting himself in some hot water for an interview that he did with Playboy leading into the 1976 election. If, like me, you don't remember it, then you may have heard about it. In that interview, he admitted rather candidly that he had looked on a lot of women with lust in his heart and therefore had committed adultery many times in his heart. Fearing the political consequences of such a confession, some members of Carter's own party said that he should never have granted the interview. Some took the position of Senator Hollings of South Carolina that, quote, the deepest, most intimate thoughts in a fellow's heart, that ought not to be a part of a person's campaign. Now, I suppose it's not all that shocking for some politicians to be worried first and foremost about the political consequences of an action, while concerns about integrity and honesty come second. Somehow, though, The group that was most scandalized by this honest confession was evangelical Christians. By speaking candidly about his sins, Jimmy Carter managed to unify evangelical Christians, particularly southern Christians who no longer had segregation to unify them on the matter of sexual ethics. This interview became a lightning rod for Christian pastors to target with thunderous attacks from their pulpits. But here's the irony of that whole situation. Jimmy Carter was right to speak about his sins in such a way In the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, during the Sermon on the Mount, shortly after the Beatitudes, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. In fact, this is such a central part of the early Christian ethic that we see it repeated almost verbatim in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew as well as in Mark chapter 9. Likewise, we see warnings in Luke chapter 12 that what is done in the dark will be brought to the light and Paul struggles with the power of sin in his body in Romans chapter 7. All the traditions of the early church seem unified in understanding that a sin of the heart is just as real as a sin acted out in the flesh. If I hate in my heart, I am guilty of murder. If I lust with my eyes, I am guilty of adultery. If I believe an untruth, then I am guilty of lying. If I covet the, covet the belongings of my neighbor, I am guilty of theft. It seems like the flip side of this should be that as long as I have love in my heart, then that should be just as real as love acted out in the flesh. But we see that this isn't the case. The author of this letter poses the question, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? They then go on to say, let us love not in word or speech, But in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before Him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. In other words, it's not good enough to say that we have love in our hearts, we have to actually demonstrate that love through our deeds. In fact, by acting upon our love, the author of this letter actually tells us that we will reassure our hearts whenever they condemn us. When we do good deeds in the flesh, we are conforming ourselves to the will of Christ and pushing back against those sins of the heart. This is what we call the process of sanctification or being made holy acting upon the impulses of the Spirit that lead us to do good make us more likely to do good in the future and less likely to be tempted by sins. So what does this actually look like for us as Christians and for the church today? The example that most quickly springs to my mind is the phrase, Love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, in theory, there's nothing wrong with that principle. In practice, though, this phrase is often used as an excuse to hate a person for who they are by labeling their very identity sinful. When it comes to questions of gender identity or sexual orientation, we cannot tell people that we love them in our hearts while also outwardly hating who they are. This expression of our theology is not merely committing murder in our hearts, but actively causes the death of our siblings in Christ. They see past the semantic tricks to the reality of the hatred that lies underneath such words, and too often they take their own lives because they know that they are unloved. Likewise, The church cannot claim to have love for our black siblings in Christ while also ignoring cries for justice or accountability. How can we claim to love our brothers and sisters while also seeking to justify every act of violence that is done against them? No sooner had we seen accountability delivered for the murder of George Floyd than we had learned about the death of 16-year-old Makia Bryant in Columbus, Ohio. And if you're already coming up with a list of reasons why it's okay for a child to have been killed or about to dismiss what I have to say as being political, please hold on and hear me out. The Columbus Police Department is tied with the New York Police Department for being the second most deadly police department in the country when it comes to killing kids. The, they only trail behind Chicago PD and the murder of children. When you add to that the fact that over 70% of all the people killed by the Columbus PD are black, while only 29% of the city's population is black, it reveals a system that disproportionately targets people of color. So whatever the facts of this particular case are, they're not an isolated incident of violence by Columbus PD, but part of a broader institutional problem. Unfortunately, in the disproportionate use of force against people of color, Columbus is not alone as information released by Lansing and East Lansing and published in the Lansing State Journal on March 30th shows that for both departments, the use of force is employed much more frequently in encounters with people of color. A reality that the heads of both departments have acknowledged needs to be addressed. I know it's probably making some of you uncomfortable that I'm talking about these things from the pulpit but how can we love our brothers and sisters while turning a blind eye to systems that put them in danger? And this isn't me being against police officers as individuals. It's simply acknowledging an objective, data-verified truth about the institution as a whole that leads to violence and death. In order for us to love our brothers and sisters of color, we have to be willing to be honest about these things. We simply can't afford to say that we have love in our hearts while ignoring the material realities around us. And while matters of racial equality and human sexuality may be hot-button topics, they're not the only ones that require us as Christians to look at the systems that underlie them. When we see a person without food, it is good for us to feed them. But we must also ask why our society is structured in such a way that allows them to go hungry when 30 to 40 percent of our food supply is simply thrown away. When we see a person without a home, it is good to offer them shelter or clothing if we can, but we must also ask why more than half a million of our neighbors are allowed to be homeless in America while more than 10 million homes in the country sit completely unoccupied. It is good for us to show love to our neighbors by addressing the needs right in front of us. Each of these acts of mercy not only makes us more likely to do good in the future, they also make our society more likely to do good as well. But if we can't move our love beyond individual acts of mercy, then it's like trying to put out a house fire with a squirt gun or trying to heal an amputated leg with a band-aid. So how do we have love for our brothers and sisters? We must love in truth and action. We must do what we can to tend the wounds of God's beloved children. We must act as individuals to help the ones who are right in front of us. We must act as Christ's body in the world to help reshape our institutions and our society to help the ones who aren't right in front of us. We must have a faith that does not shy from the public square but asks boldly of God to transform us, our church, and our world. Amen. God, you have taught us to love you by loving our neighbors. Give us the courage to be honest about the harms that are done to our brothers and sisters. Give us the grace to tend their wounds give us the prophetic imagination to see a better way of living with one another that mirrors the peace of your kingdom amen